The lights go down and shadows fall. Welcome to a world of mysteries, of conspiracies, of hidden and forgotten knowledge. There's a world more strange, more frightening, and more fascinating than most people ever imagined or dared to contemplate. Your parents, your teachers, never told you the whole story, either out of ignorance or fear. Your politicians may know, but they keep their mouths shut. The door is opening. Throw off your chains and blinders, arm yourselves with the truth, and take a walk along the razor-sharp precipice of the Outer Edge. Hello, and welcome to another scintillating yet grungy, grimy, underbelly episode of The Outer Edge. I'm William Michael Ugh. Mott. Ugh, I, feel, I feel dirty already. Hey, we're dirty guys here. One, two, <laughs> here with Tim Schwartz, of course, who's over there in his corner feeding Mothman again, and we got to change his papers, Tim. <laughs> change his papers. He's just getting too big for the cage. Nah, I've, I've got I've got Mothman litter trained at this point. Well, we liberated Mothman this week from from uh, some. There's some guy out in, in Seattle who's been holding him captive for about 20 years. He was malnourished, and eating his own excrement, and just just not a good scene. And then he was taking his his uh, he was sort of doing psychic astral projections into the brain of this guy. So uh, <laughs> you know, we had to we had to rescue both of them. So <laughs> so that we right. have him here, and he's in a cage. Uh, no, no, no! I've let him go. Fly free, Mothman! Oh, Fly no. free! He's going to go right back to Seattle. <laughs> what was that movie like? Free, free Willy, free your Willy, something like that. Yeah, that so it. yeah, so it's 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 free, Mothman. That's right. That's right. But anyway. <laughs> It is time for the show, and it is also Sunday, September 14th, where I am, September 15th, where Tim is. It's almost the 15th here for me, my son's birthday. Oh, all right. Yeah, pretty pretty soon here. Um, but uh, call-in number is 786-245-8127, 786-245-8127. You can see us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Radio. It's facebook.com slash the Outer Edge Radio, or you can go to psn-radio.com and chat live in the chat room during the show. You can do that if you want to, or you can call us, 786-245-8127. Tim, how was your week, man? Ah, Not too bad, not too bad. Just uh, been been quite busy putting uh, uh, finishing touches on... uh, uh, the the so, hopefully soon to be published uh, book the like the strange strange history of America. I think uh, we're still we're still going around around with the title here, but uh, <laughs> sounds good. Yeah, well, you've uh, you, you you've got a contribution to it. Uh, Olav uh, Phillips, awesome. uh, myself, Sean Castile, uh, Tim Beckley's going to write uh, uh, an intro to it. And uh, it's uh, it's 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 practically finished now. So sounds like a an excellent tome. That's right. That's forbidden right. lore. Uh, forbidden lore. Which which reminds me, Mike. Um, yes. Now uh, this week you put out uh, a, an interesting uh, blog post. Now you know, we talked a little bit about this on last week's show. Right. But right. uh, but you got your blog po- uh, uh, post out uh, about this uh, this interesting uh, fossil that you found. Yeah, it is very interesting. I found this fossil actually about maybe 90, uh, 90 yards from where I live, where I'm sitting right now, um, uh, a rural area here. 
and uh, it's it's a hillside, and um, I was walking my dog, you know, about a, a little over a week ago, and and I saw this rock sticking out of the ground, and uh, just like a little, almost like a small brick, and I thought, well, man, what is this? You know, I'm thinking uh, Confederate gold or you know a hidden grave or you know unmarked grave or something. So I went and got a spade and was digging at it, and then my son came home, and I called him over to help me dig it up. He got the shovel, and we carefully dug this thing up, and it was just a really big rock, sort of wedge-shaped, and the small end was sticking out of the ground, um, you know, sort of facing downhill, but it was at a steep angle. So we dug this thing up, took it back to my house, where, you know, I have a lot of rocks I've dug up here and there, and it wasn't until the next day that my girlfriend noticed that uh, the light was just right, because it was late in the day, and she noticed that it looked like a footprint. She she said, "Hey, that looks like a footprint." And I looked at it, and lo and behold, it did. It looks uh, astonishingly like a very well made Bigfoot cast in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But it is in solid limestone, and there's like a little edge to the side where you can see. It looks like what happened was something stepped in the mud, made a hole, then. It was filled in with something else, and the something else is what solidified in the stone. It's a big chunk of rock. I bet it weighs 25, 30 pounds. Hmm. Um, yeah, so the next day I, I took some photos of it, you know, and I put them on Facebook. We talked about that last week. and and uh, But then I wrote a blog post about it this week. Uh, had a lot of interesting developments with it, um, a lot of interesting input from different people. I've had a podiatrist look at it and he has finally come to the conclusion that it is a humanoid footprint as far as he's concerned now this Mm -hmm. is a medical doctor okay Mm -hmm. and at first he was wondering if it was maybe something that was walking just on his toes like a big predator but this strata that it was found in this limestone um it's from the eocene which means wow yeah 35 million years ago oh yeah yeah there weren't supposed to be any big not many. There were only a few, very few big predators walking around um, that were that were mammals, you know, at that time. Um, but the more he looked at it, the more he got to thinking that this looks like a, what he calls a full foot walker. In other words, it's walking with the entire foot, the heel, you know, the midfoot, and the toes, mm-hmm. and the metatarsals and everything. So mm-hmm. he says it is a footprint. Then I had another person who, at this point, wants to remain unidentified for for personal reasons but uh this person also is a doctor uh and a forensics person and this person confirmed that it is a footprint Hmm. and this person has never seen a fossilized footprint of this type before um i had another very famous cryptozoologist who when he first looked at it all he said was bear and that was all he would say he wouldn't comment any further Huh. After the, after that, um, because there were no bears around then, and uh, um, and this is obviously not a bear's footprint. It's very obvious what that it is a humanoid footprint. Um, another person who's a Bigfoot researcher looked at this thing and said it does look to her like a Bigfoot footprint, and that she thinks that it's uh, ancestral, like a hmm. more primitive form of it. Um, it. It's a pretty amazing piece. And you know you have to understand that if you that, that if it is what it looks like it is, then it rewrites the history of hominids because it didn't come out of Africa. Mm-hmm. It's here in the southeastern United States. 
Um, it, it, re, it rewrites the history of or, or the theories about where Bigfoot comes from, what Bigfoot is, um, you know, crossing the, the Bering Land Bridge and coming from Asia and all that stuff. Uh, no, maybe it comes from here to begin with. Maybe this is where it originated, whatever it is. Um, it's just a, really a fascinating thing. And what I have found is a couple of nasty skeptics. Um, I did have a, a, a feedback from one paleontologist I sent uh, the photos to who basically told me that shrimp had sculpted it in the bottom of the ocean and it just looks like a footprint. And then he went on to tell me that if I found another one just like it, then he would say that I have two bizarrely shaped rocks. Hmm. In other words, no matter how many times you find a footprint, it's not really a footprint. It's got to be something else. <laughs> well, the, no, of course not. It's because, yeah. uh, you know, the way, the way that they, the, the way they're thinking is that, uh, well, there were, uh, there, there was nothing in that time period that could produce a five-toed humanoid looking footprint. So obviously it cannot be right. a humanoid footprint. There, and, the, and it's like I, like I said in the blog post, you know, the, the likelihood of okay for instance the toes are, are, are parallel much in the fashion of, of they, like they are in a Bigfoot cast and it's very similar to a Bigfoot cast footprint and and the, the toes are, are really very parallel to each other and he said they were peculiarly parallel um, tunnels dug by shrimp peculiarly parallel that was his own little explanation for that right. and he also he also I just sent him pictures I sent him photos um, and I just told him the history of it, where I found it and everything. I didn't mention humanoid. I never said the word human or humanoid. And then he said something about, he mentioned humanoid in his response to me. You know, uh, it may look like a footprint, but this doesn't mean it's human or humanoid. You know, so obviously it looked enough like one to make him think that it resembled one. And not only does it resemble one, I mean, there's no way that it's, you know, some freak of nature. There's just no way, because it's like I said in, in the, in the blog post, it would it would be the equivalent of going out into your yard and finding where a, a hill of ants had constructed a, a replica of the Eiffel Tower. I mean, that's how absurd it is. I mean, mm. the odds would be about the same. I well, mean, it, how- it'd be it'd be interesting if he could actually produce you know a, a photo himself of these the you know these kinds of uh, shrimp tunneling fossils yeah, that he's exactly. referring to. Because you know, I'd be interesting to see. Something like that to you know to offer a comparison. I mean, well, yeah, sure. I mean, he could he could say that, yeah. but you know, unless unless I see something that uh, you know uh, what he to, to what he's referring to, then right, you know, pff, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, know. listen. Here, here's the thing. I mean, you've seen the photos. Oh well, yes, yeah. What does it look like to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it 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 looks if. If I were to see the photo without any background on what I was looking at, I would say, you know, just, you know, uh, uh, based on what I've seen before in the past, I would say it looked like the uh, a plaster casting of a footprint. Right. That's exactly what it looks like to me. I mean, right. um, but and, since, and, you know, you know, since yeah. I know the, you know, the history of what right. it's found, you know, uh, but yeah, I mean, to me, you know, it it looks like it looks like a footprint, right? And it's it's uh, it's it's uncanny, and it is in solid limestone. I mean, a big chunk of rock. So you know, it's it, here's the thing about this this whole this whole skeptical BS that permeates the world. I mean, this is the same old thing where 
you know, conform to our way of thinking. Oh, it, it has to be this, and if not, let us take it and look at it. Guess what? Nobody's taking it. Nobody's going to do that. If they want to look at it, they can make arrangements with me to go recover it from where I have it in safe storage, and then I will show it to them. Mm-hmm. In my presence, because this isn't going to be one of those things that, that oh, well, we're going to take it back to the institute and look at it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's not going to happen because then you never see it again. Uh, yeah, we uh, yeah, we 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 know how that goes. Yeah, let's uh, let's let's take that old Polaroid photograph you have of the UFO and examine it. And, oops, oh, it's gone. <laughs> or, or look at all the remains that have been found. You know, in the last two hundred years, all types of bizarre skeletal remains that you know. Oh, look, so and so is here from Washington. They're going to take that. They're going to look at it for you, and then oh, you know. A month goes by, six months go go by, two years go by, and hey, hey, where's that skeleton? You two? what skeleton? What skeleton? Right? Or, or oh, oh yeah, oh man, you know what? Those were accidentally incinerated. Mm-hmm. You know all this kind of stuff. Okay, whatever. No, no, they're not getting their what? mitts on this one. Sorry. Well, let, let me ask you, Mike. Now, the uh, the hillside that you found this on uh, is is the um, you know under underneath the sod. I mean, is is there more limestone? I mean, is there you know like does does the hill set on um, you know a strata of of limestone? Well, this whole region does. There's there's there are very few to almost none in terms of of cave entrances here. Mm-hmm. But there, but the, the ground actually is heavily caved underneath in the geology. There's a there's a thick bed of limestone that un, that underlies this whole area for several states. Okay, and um, it's called the Claiborne Group of limestone. It dates back to about thirty five to forty six million years. You know, it's in right in the, the from the beginning of the Eocene on up toward the end, which mm-hmm. makes sense because. You know, at the beginning of the Eocene, this this area was a shallow sea, mm-hmm. and then toward the end, it was a swamp. And I have petrified wood from all over this property that dates to that time. Um, that I, you know, I find a chunk of petrified wood here and there, and I'll bring it home. That type of thing. So, you know, it was a swamp, and that means that these hills, like the hill that I live on, uh, would have been sort of like an island, probably. In a swampy area, or or maybe even an inland sea area, you know, where the water comes in, kind of like uh, areas of Louisiana might be now. Sure. Um, but you know, the hill that it's on. The interesting thing about the about the rock is, you know, I barely saw the the back end of it, and most limestone rock is deeply buried. Now, if you dig a well, you'll find it. Okay, mm-hmm. or a lot of times some of these people around here, they'll actually strip mine their own land just to sell the dirt and sell the gravel and that kind of thing. And then once they strip it down, they hit the limestone. Right. Okay. That dates to this period. But there's, you know, it, this is, it, there's almost like a, it looks like a karst formation, the hills around here, right around this, around this area. For instance, there could be you know, sort of an upswelling, which is would be a limestone karst. And then, of course, you have caves down inside that and that type of thing. But the, where this was found was sort of a gentle slope, well up on this hilltop, you know, it kind of gradually going up. And then the interesting thing about this was that this footprint was positioned as if perhaps, well, it was facing as if something were walking up the hill. So, you know, all I can figure is maybe a very long time ago, something was walking up a muddy slope and a it almost looks like they slipped a little bit when they stepped, 
because it kind of looks like the toes dug in, and the heel isn't quite as pronounced as it. I mean, it's there, but it's not as as firmly dug in as the toes and the and the front part of the ball of the foot are. So it looks like something was coming up that hill and and, and slipped in the mud, you know. And then over time, this this thing filled in with mud again and and became a became rock. And who knows how long that took? You know, there's no way to really to really know. Um, I'm sure it's been buried up until the time I dug it up. My son and I actually dug it up, but uh, it's pretty it's pretty wild. And you know, it, it, the, I don't want to give away everything I, I put in the article. If people want to see it, they can go to Motomorphic.com. It's M O T T I M O R P H I C M O T T I M O R P H I C dot com slash blog B L O G, and that will take them to my blog. And I've got a several new paranormal-related, Fortean-related uh, articles there. And this is just one of them. And the last two have actually been picked up by, by Paranoia Magazine's website. So they've got them over there, too. If you want to go to Paranoia, Paranoia's site, they're, they're, uh, they're mirrored over there. But uh, modernmorphic.com slash blog. Well, also, if you're a subscriber to the Conspiracy Journal newsletter, I have a, I have a link in the, oh, okay. the this week's newsletter as well to to your most recent uh, blog about the footprints. So I appreciate uh, it, man. Yeah, our listeners can uh, can can use that as well to uh, to get access to it. Well, Mike, let's uh, um, we have Tim Beckley on the line here. Let's uh, let's bring Tim in and uh, uh, and 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 see what kind of comments that he he has about something like that. Because I, I bet uh, I All bet right. he's never run across anything like this before. Right. <laughs> Well, I don't know. <laughs> there, there's, there's so much that um, has been hidden from us about history. I mean, right. the fact that uh, there there seems to have been uh, several advanced civilizations that existed here on the planet uh, that, uh, you know, is being kid, uh, hidden from us, maybe because their technology uh, is uh, so highly uh, advanced. And we're taught, of course, uh, in um, uh, grade school that... Um, Civilization only goes back as, as so many years, as far as technology uh, goes, and certainly not back. Um, how, ma- how many years ago are you pointing at now that this might go back to? Well, this rock actually it would date to a to at the at the latest, probably around thirty million years ago. Oh, yeah, piece of cake, piece of cake. I, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I was yeah. around. I was around then. I was around. Then. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, it, uh, you know, we, I, I remember one time now there was a fellow in Kentucky, and he came to uh, one of our um, uh, UFO uh, conferences, and he had a rock that looked like a little petrified, an outline of a little petrified man or something. Now, I don't think it was the uh, the actual humanoid, an actual humanoid itself, but something that had apparently, you know, been dug up that had the outline of this uh, being or some sort, and to him, it was you know thousands and thousands of years uh, old, and so I don't know. There's there's all kinds of uh, you know evidence that uh, uh, intelligent uh, life was around here uh, long before um, uh, supposedly it, it it was. You know, so I, I don't know. It's it's all it's all a great mystery, and I'm sure you won't get very far with it because uh, the, uh, those that you show it to in academia will. Find some excuse, uh, you know. Oh yeah. Other than what it is, so it's a ni- it's a nice personal find. Put it on your mantle, but uh, 
uh, you know, Tim, I'm not sure it won't make the cover of it will not make the cover of National Geographic. No, it won't. But you need to, <laughs> you need to see it. I think you will. You will maybe, find maybe, maybe page one hundred and thirty, but not the cover. Certainly, no. yeah. Well, but maybe, maybe, uh, uh, maybe Atlantis Rising magazine. That sounds like a. Well, we'll see. You know, yeah. it, it's a sad turn of events. You know that uh, that uh, people in certain areas, certain certain positions suppress knowledge or they'll spend more effort debunking it than they will actually mm-hmm. investigating it and uh you know and even even the cryptozoology crowd i've been well actually not really surprised but you know a few of them they 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 liked it you know they hit like on facebook or they went and read it and then they contacted me so oh, that was really good man very that's very interesting but nobody will actually come out in in the cryptozoology bunch and say Wow, this looks like, you know, use my name, and this looks like this, you know. They, because as I was talking to Tim about before the show, you know, this kind of is one of those things where it flies in the face of all their theories. Because cryptozoologists in general are desperate to be taken seriously as scientists. They want so badly to be accepted in the in the the uh, the gentleman's club you know they want to be taken seriously so they try to make their they try to force the data to conform to scientific theories as they exist so in other words bigfoot had to come from asia and you know um uh, homin- all hominids came out of africa all these types of things and so they will if they find something that does not support that they also will tend to ignore it or just not say anything, you know what I mean. So because they they don't want to be, they don't want to go out on a limb because again they're so desperate for that scientific acceptance. And ufologists are not too far behind. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's, that's true. Exactly right. Yeah. Well, it's the same situation. Of you know, you have these uh, uh, these these very good reports from. Uh, um, um, very good eyewitnesses of, uh, uh, say, like uh, uh, Bigfoot sightings being connected with uh, with UFOs, and that tends to piss off both fields. Yeah, you know, it the does. Bigfoot Bigfoot uh, uh, people they they try to distance distance themselves as much as possible from you know anything having to do with UFOs. You know, they, they say, oh UFOs, oh that's just a bunch of crackpots, and same way with the UFO crowd. I mean, you know, they. Right. You know, Bigfoot and UFOs, or uh, UFOs are space brothers. Nothing to do with Bigfoot, right? Though they're yeah. aliens. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, here's here's the thing, too, guys. I mean, I'm not a Bigfooter. You know, I'm a guy that 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 looks at folklore. I'm a folklorist, really, I guess. And I I look at modern folklore and all the stuff we talk about. That's what it is. It's a modern update on an ongoing basis of folklore. That doesn't mean that it's not based in reality sometimes something's really going on but you know so when i find this fossil this is like the last thing in the world i'm thinking that i'm going to find i mean i don't go out looking for bigfoot i don't go out beat on trees with with sticks you know and and night vision and all this other stuff this is just something that i found you know which is pretty weird considering that i do write about related topics um you know so but at the same time it's it's one of those things where it's it's a better cast in solid stone 
than most of these plaster casts that are being made. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when I look at some of these plaster casts, all I see is a, sh- a foot, sort of a rough foot shape with a bunch of grass imprints in it. You know, you know the shape of the, you know, when it, where they put the plaster in and then it conforms to all the, the crushed down grass. Right, yeah. But this is not like that. This is actually where you can see the, almost like the structure of the foot. So, you know. Well, this, you know, this this falls uh, to me, this falls into uh uh the uh, synchronicity that uh, that that Beckley is uh, so interested in uh, nowadays. I mean, here uh here you are. I mean, you, you, you know, I mean, you're not like I said, you're not a, you know, you're not a Bigfooter, but I mean, you're interested in 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 unusual in stuff anomalies. like this. Yeah. I'm yeah. All, all anomalies. Yeah. And it just so happens that you go and 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 find something you know anomalous like this. So right. I mean, you know, what are what are the odds of that? Yeah, it's really weird, you know, because a year a year ago was when, uh, approximately about a year and a month ago from the time I found this was when I accidentally got that weird photograph, which is in the other blog post. Right. And it was again totally accidental, you know. And I've got the photos to prove it, the digital photos. So you know, it, it's one of those things where it almost seems like if you don't look for it. Maybe you'll find something. But when you go desperately beating the bushes and scanning the skies, then you don't find it. <laughs> That's right. Well, and think about it. If it hadn't been for your your, your girlfriend That's having right. to glance over at it at just that right moment with That's this, right. you know, the, the light hitting it just the right way, you may not, I mean, we may not be having this conversation. Tonight. Exactly. It'd still be sitting outside my door, which is not where it is anymore. It is in a safe <laughs> location, a very safe location. So it is secure. Um, but, you know, here's the thing. I, the next day I took it out, you know, and I, it, right about, uh, gosh, about, about 30, 40 minutes before sundown, maybe, maybe an hour before sundown. The sun was pretty low, but it was really bright. And so the shadows were just right, and that's when I took all the pictures. So, you know, you could really see it. But when I brought it inside, out of the direct light, without the right angle, it just looks like a rock mm-hmm. with some ridges and stuff on it. But you have to get the light just right. And then when you do, man, you can see every detail. It's pretty weird. Well, I mean, considering some of the interesting things that 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 people have dug up here in the United States and I'm not just talking about you know footprints and fossils but say you know people who have dug up uh, you know coats of armor uh, yeah. uh, uh coins from uh, 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 the Roman Empire and things like that and uh, and and they're just to- that you know that kind of stuff is just totally ignored so yep. i mean you know it, it 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 it's it's not going to be a big surprise to me that that yeah, it's going to be the same way with this footprint. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, you're going to have people like yourself and us and and some others yeah. say, yeah, you know, that's really cool. But it, like Tim said, it's it's not going to go any further than that, unfortunately. Oh yeah, I'm sure. But you know what? Like I said, it's not going to be heading off to the institute anytime <laughs> soon because we know better than that. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, it's like you said, uh, uh, you know, it's it's in a. Uh, in a, in a safe location, so you better right. hope that your safe location is in a safe location. Oh, it is. I have to go somewhere to get to it, and then, you know, <laughs> I have to make arrangements. Let's put it that way. There you go. So, there you go. So if anybody wants to – look, if, if if qualified people want to see it, they can contact me ahead of time, set up a time, 
and then I will make the effort to go get it and make it available under supervision, in, under supervised uh, conditions. But it's not leaving the supervised conditions, or supervi- the supervised uh, um, circumstances. It, right. You know, they can look at all they want to under those conditions. But other than that, no, it's not going anywhere. So. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, gentlemen, um, we are coming up on our first break of the evening. Uh, before we go to that, uh, Tim, why don't you tell us about tonight's guest? Oh, well, this evening we have a gentleman by the name of George P. Hansen. And George is a, a noted uh, parapsychologist. In fact, uh, we're going to find out uh, this evening. Um, um, I understand that he was uh, involved in some experiments at Princeton University. Hmm. But uh, George is perhaps uh, best known for a book that he wrote a number of years ago on the trickster. And we're going to find out all about the trickster and who the trickster is and what the trickster is responsible for doing. Keeping cool. information hidden from us. There you go. Well, wow. it, uh, information like uh, anomalous uh, foot, fossil yes, footprints. Yes, indeed, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, let's go to our break then, and when we come back, uh, uh, we'll we, we'll be talking with our guest uh, George P. Hansen. You are listening to the Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. So please stay tuned. We'll be right back in just a few. Minutes. I would like to direct this to the distinguished members of the panel. You lousy corksuckers. You have violated my Fargan rights. This Samanambaching country was founded so that the liberties of common patriotic citizens like me could not be taken away by a bunch of Fargan ice holes like yourselves. Thank you very much. Put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with key information solutions. Providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology. Preventative maintenance and networking support. Hardware and custom built computers. Let key information solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call key information solutions now. 954-973-3374. That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com. We're rewarding you for something you already do. Listening to us. It's Radio Loyalty, and it's an easy way for you to get free stuff. All you do is sign up. Go ahead and click the banner now. You'll earn points as you listen. Points you can trade in for great products and services in the Radio Loyalty store. You can earn even more points when you share your favorite station with friends on Facebook and Twitter. Radio Loyalty. It's free to sign up. So click the banner to join now. Up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel. And more. Superman, homepage.com. All systems are functional. And you have the range. 
Who's your favorite superhero? My name is Steve Yunus from supermanhomepage.com And now I'm a voice inside the jackal's head And who makes them look that cool? Hey, this is Mark McKenna here. I'm a comic book artist for 25 years for Marvel and DC Comics, and I'm a voice inside the jackal's head. Only on PSN Radio. <laughs> now you can share the topics that drive the discussions of your favorite talk shows with TalkStream Live's topic-driven talk radio. List and promote real-time talk radio topics, or post the topics that you want to hear. Hot topics are tweeted and retweeted, and include simple click-to-listen audio links. The future of talk radio is topic-driven talk radio. Available now at TalkStreamLive.com. Remember, Future Theater can be heard every Monday night at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 7 p.m. Eastern, with your host, Bill, that's me, and Nancy. Hi, Karumba. Burns, and we are broadcasting live right here on the PSN Radio. Breaking the walls down. This is radio. This is what people want. To download the podcast, make sure you go to www.futuretheater.com. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and I'm proud to be a book person. How do I choose a book? Sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the title. I guess I'm pretty visual. If a book's really impressing me and the writing is really good, I will peek and see what the last paragraph is. Because the endings of books should rock you. I am a book person. And if you're a book person, too, read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition. Join me at bookpeoplenight.com. Org because reading is fundamental. A public service announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress, and the Ad Council. Only in the forest can you see this. <laughs> but nothing beats the moment you see that. Cool! That's your child's eyes opening up to a world of possibilities. There are some moments only the forest can inspire. Find yours at discovertheforest.org. Learn about forests near you and discover cool things to do when you go. And you might just see this. Visit discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Whoa. The moment my son saw a redwood tree. It's huge! Is the moment I knew that for him. You can't even see the top of that thing! Even the sky has no limit. There are some moments only the forest can inspire. Find yours at discovertheforest.org. Learn about forests near you and discover cool things to do when you go. Your moment is out there. Find it at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. So, Jacqueline. Yes, Mom? I wanted to talk to you about something and... Oh, wait. Hold on. I just got a text. Oh, there's another one. Wow. Busy, busy me. So, anyway... Oh, wait, Mom. I just got a message. My friends keep commenting on my comment. Oh, there's another one. So many comments on my comment. Oh, I can't wait to watch TV tonight. Playoffs! Hey, guys, check out my new video game. Wait, wait. Mom, what? Huh? What? What'd you say? Wait a second, huh? This weekend... Unplug. Take your family to the forest. There's nothing in the world like experiencing nature firsthand. Trees, paths, bluebirds, streams. Getting closer to nature can get you closer to your family. To find the forest nearest you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Driving has a rhythm all its own. Don't wreck it with a text. Before you get behind the wheel, silence your phone.
or better yet, designate a texter. For more text-free driving tips, visit StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! (gasps) It's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text. Stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. All right, you're back on the Outer Edge. I'm Tim Swartz. With me tonight, of course, is Mike Mott. And uh, we've got our, our monthly visitor, uh, Timothy Greenbeckley. And uh, Tim and Mike, we also are joined tonight with uh, 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 George Hansen. Right. Yep. So, George, are you there with us? Finally? Yes, I'm here. I'm here. All right. Great. Glad to have you with us. It's just like one big bizarre family. <laughs> <laughs> And then then don't forget the trickster may be looking over all of our shoulders. (laughs) Oh, well. Oh, I guarantee. I I I guarantee he's looking over it, yeah. (laughs) George, why why don't you, George, um, now uh, I've known you for quite a number of years. We usually uh, hook up at uh, Pat Marcatilio's uh, UFO uh, conference that he's had for 51 years now, is that correct? Or 51? Oh, no, it's more like 25 years. He's okay, but it's two 51, conf- 51 yeah. conferences, right. Wow. <laughs> I think at least yeah. That, yeah. Otherwise, we'd be 370 years old. That would really... Uh... <laughs> but uh, I've known you for quite a, a number of years. And uh, uh, last time I ran into you, I did interview you for uh, our YouTube, uh, Mr. UFO Secret Files, on the trickster. But a lot of our listeners, I'm sure, are not... Um, particularly familiar with the trickster phenomena. Why don't you tell us who the trickster is and what the trickster does? Okay, this is a little bit of a tricky thing to convey to your listeners. First of Hmm. all, the trickster is sort of an abstract concept. It's a character type or a, uh, a creature found worldwide in folklore and mythology. So, Eshu in Africa, Loki of the North, Coyote and Raven of North American Indians, and there are literally there's probably several hundred types of uh, trickster figures. Now, they have certain characteristics. One, of course, they're tricky. They're involved with deception. But they also have other properties. They are, tend to be boundary crossers. And they're sort of a little bit on the outside of society. They're sort of accepted, but sort of not. They're looked upon as a little bit off or a little bit suspicious. Uh, They often will disrupt things. Um, They can be rather difficult and mischievous. They can also uh, violate sexual taboos. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole variety of qualities that these characters have. Sometimes they turn into heroes, and sometimes they're buffoons. Uh, they're sort of a combination of opposites. They right. can be really well-liked, and they can be despised. So, and, so it's almost, the tricksters are almost seen as irrational. They don't c- 
conform to the normal expectations. They tend to disrupt things. They tend to be uh, unusual at times. Right. So, you know, they, they, they almost seem kind ahead. of narcissistic, don't they? Oh, absolutely. They, are de- they can definitely be narcissistic. Uh, and, in fact, that's one of the characteristics that some of the folklorists and anthropologists have pointed out. But they can also be very uh, great benefactors to societies. When things right. need to change, they are change agents. They can provoke change and stimulate people to think and act differently. Right. So, yeah, it's so, yeah it, they're kind of uh, ambiguous that way. And people have very ambivalent feelings toward them. Well, now, George, how did you... Um, how did you start doing research on this? I mean, it, it's a, a subject that most people are not that uh, familiar with. Maybe they've heard it, uh, uh, you know, mentioned in passing. Why have you become such an, an expert on it? Why did you decide to devote a great deal of time to researching the topic and doing a book on the trickster? Oh, okay, that's a great question. Uh, well, I've been all my involved... questions are. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. <laughs> well. Um... I've been involved in the paranormal uh, area for most of my adult life, nearly all of it, actually. And one of the things that seemed to be pervasive, not only in parapsychology and among psychics and mediums, but also in the UFO field and and Bigfoot cryptozoology, uh, there was a lot of deception and trickery, whether it was caused by the government or fraudulent mediums or people who wanted a hoax just for having a good time. Now, Tim Beckley and I go back. I, I met him first, I believe, at one of uh, John Keel's uh, meetings in New York City. He had the New Possibly, York Fortean yes, yes. Society. Mm-hmm. And John would always say, well, you know, I, I suggested someone do a history of... Uh, hoaxes and ufology, and Keel would rant, well, that's all it is. Well, it's not hmm. quite that bad, but almost. There's a whole lot of hoaxing. There's a lot of government disinformation. There's a lot of misidentification. So it's a very difficult area. So one of the, the primary characteristics is that I saw, quite deception happens over and over and over in these paranormal fields. Also, the trickster tends to represent instability and transition. And in a lot of uh, laboratory work, when things tend, there's been experiments that have, done, have been undertaken to look at systems that are flexible or labile, changing a lot. And those types of systems have been shown to be more amenable to psychic influence. Also, Tricksters tend to be outsiders, and the paranormal and the study of the paranormal has never really been accepted within uh, the academic world. It's always on the edge. The people who are proponents of it and who study it uh, directly tend to be pushed out of the academic world. Here's the name of our show. Yeah, yeah. So, so you guys, I think, understand this because you're probably a bit of the outsiders. You're not really part of the big corporate world. You're probably no. working on your own. Well, I mean, it's Tim- interesting because uh, this is Mike, by the way, George. But uh, back in the late '80s, I wrote a couple of novels, and they've been through different uh, publishings from different people. I like to get paid, so I keep changing publishers. But uh, yeah, and the archetype 
the, the main character is a trickster. That's what he is. It, it's called the Pulsifer Saga. It's about a guy named Kaleen Pulsifer in a, you know, in a far future age. And he's basically just, like you said, he's an agent of change. He's an outsider, an outcast. Uh, a lot of people love him. A lot of people hate him. It's exactly what, uh, what he's based on are these mythological trickster characters. Terrific. So you automatically, you already have some basic deep understanding of it. If you've been thinking about the, this kind of character and writing about it, this is great. Oh yeah, for a long time. Yeah, but you know, there, you're right about the deception in the field. You know that, and that's always been one of my pet peeves, is because it hoaxers and and people, charlatans and people that just are in it for to make a quick buck or whatever. A lot of times, or most of the time, they they cloud. They, they muddy the waters, they obfuscate everything so badly that that nothing will be taken seriously. Well, I'll Absolutely. tell you, anybody, anybody who's in this field to make money uh, will soon find that the <laughs> trickster has them by the tail. That's, Boy, <laughs> uh, yeah. that, that, that's generally the case, unless you're a really good fiction writer and you are writing only fiction, but if you're trying to get at the real phenomena... Absolutely right. And I hasten to add, most psychics and most researchers are not tricksters. You know, they're in it, they're, they want to find legitimate answers, they're right. not out to hoax people, but the, the ones that get the most attention and yes. the media flock to are the people who are hoaxing and have this mm. colorful, these colorful personalities but really don't care about the truth. And you see this especially in the, in the current TV shows. Mm -hmm. The reality TV shows on the paranormal are largely fake. And I've known a right. number of investigators who've uh, taken part in those shows and then decided they don't want any more part of it because the entertainment uh, industry doesn't really care about the truth. They want a good story. And so today, perhaps some of the most uh, blatant hoaxing is probably occurring on TV. And that just gives the whole, all these fields a, a really bad name. But some people really buy into it, and there is certainly an audience for it. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because Tim and I have talked about uh, certain ghost hunting shows on here more than once. And some of the things that they do on those shows are just absolutely absurd. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, like there, there are guys on there that are terrified of – they they'll get in the dark room and they run to a spider web and they just absolutely freak out, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I mean, what kind of person goes hunting, you know, disembodied demonic entities, but they're terrified of bugs? You know? <laughs> well, again, it makes for much more entertaining TV, and that's and and better ratings. That's all they care about. So it does reflect on it, and the academic world will not pay any will pay little or no attention to this. So it's open field. There are very few recognized authorities. There's no institution that grants credentials in these fields. Not, right. Nothing that's taken seriously. So it uh, falls to lay people like us to do the investigations. It's yeah. very interesting to watch just how strong the antagonism is to studying these hmm. phenomena within the academic world. There is enormous hostility. That's true. And, 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 then of course, and then, of course, even in the field itself, there's oh. an enormous hostility among a, a certain uh, groups of uh, researchers who take uh, only their work as being legitimate and everybody else's as being uh, 
Absolutely. Right. This is one right. of the major characteristics of it. There's infighting. One of the <clears throat> one of the concepts I draw upon in uh, my analysis of the trickster, and this is not uh, unique to me, uh, or it didn't start with me, is the concept of liminality. And this com- this concept comes out of analysis of African religious ritual. And there is a synonym for liminality uh, that was invented by an uh, anthropologist named Victor Turner called anti-structure. And anti-structure really characterizes the trickster. And many of the, I was, have been an advisor to a number of ghost groups. And the ghost research groups are characterized by anti-structure. They do not stay together very long. They break up. There's recriminations. There's bad right. feelings. And this happens over and over and over again. And I'm convinced that many of the ghost groups that go out and investigate do encounter real phenomena. But these phenomena have side effects. And one of the side effects is anti-structure. The groups break apart. This right. is not... This is, if you watch the ghost groups, you will see this. But other cultures understood this. There have been anthropologists who have looked at uh, ghosts in other cultures and found, well, when ghosts are approached under ritual conditions, there's a little more safety. But when they're not, hmm. there can be more hostility between family members and kin. So this right. is not new. This These these phenomena have real effects, but the effects are rather unpleasant, and people don't even realize that these effects are happening to them. Well, uh, can you give us uh, maybe uh, an example or two? You talked about uh, when when these are approached uh, using ritual, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's you know, I mean, you know, of course, uh, uh, with with modern day, say, like you know, uh, ghost hunters. I mean, they they approach it with you know, like a, just a purely sterile scientific attitude, and the idea of uh, of of going about a ritual would just, you know, just seem, you know, almost antagonistic to to what they believe in. So, I mean, can you give us a description of uh, some of these rituals that other societies have used? Well, I don't have, there are a number of ways to propitiate the ghost. You Mm -hmm. offer food, you set out candles. Uh, That's not something I do, but you're absolutely right. The, The people who claim to have this scientific mindset will find this completely silly or useless, but they have not studied other cultures, and other cultures have dealt with these phenomena for thousands of years, whereas today, scientists will often smirk or sneer at the whole concept of ghosts, and the few people who want to apply scientific approaches will kind of go along with that kind of mindset. Well, it hasn't worked in the past in other cultures, Maybe we need to be paying a lot more attention to the religious rituals of other cultures in order to understand these phenomena. It's very similar to like uh, um, households putting out a bowl of porridge to uh, to appease the wee folk, you yes, know, so they don't yes. so they don't get in their house and you know hollow out their bread. That's yeah. right. That's right. Good example. And I'm sure there's many many others. And other cultures had lots of ways of dealing with these phenomena, but scientists will poo-poo all that. And most ghost researchers, understandably, will try to do a more technological approach. And that's not wrong, but they should realize that there's other aspects here that may be more important. Right. Well, this ties... 
this ties into something. I'm sorry, Tim, go ahead. Uh, well, I was just going to say, well, now, George, uh, didn't um, many of the uh, North American uh, Indian uh, tribes have great uh, reverence uh, for the trickster, understood its uh, potential? Oh, yes, they had great respect. And, in fact, there were some tribes that would tell trickster tales only during a certain season, and they would be forbidden from talking about or, or telling the tales in other seasons. So there were, were certain procedures. They recognized a certain danger, but also a certain benefit from uh, right. dealing with the trickster. So, so basically, yeah. the, trick, the trickster in this context is the paranormal itself is functioning almost as if it is the trickster. Yes, yes, you got it. Yes, the, okay. the paranormal well, has the characteristics of the trickster, so it operates in that sense. In that right. Way. And what you said about the equipment issue with, with like, for instance, ghost hunters, we were talking before you came on about how, you know, for instance, cryptozoologists want desperately, and, and then Tim pointed out, ufologists as well, they want so badly to be part of the scientific community that they will skew their data or ignore things that they think oh, are yes, on the fringe. Oh, yes, this is great. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because they yeah, they want, to, they want to be, look how scientific we are. So they don't, they, they, they exclude data that, that, they, that they think themselves will make them look unacceptable to academia. I've seen this over and over and over and over again. You're absolutely right. If you look at MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, for many years and probably still had an official policy for the state directors not to talk about psychic aspects of UFOs. Mm -hmm. If you look at the government psychic spying program, a very large number of the government psychic spies have had UFO experiences. Those two things overlap. They don't want to talk about that overlap. The parapsychologists do not want to talk about UFOs at their conventions, and many of the ufologists do not want to talk about psychic aspects and poltergeists and, and that sort of thing. The people who are actually doing the research often understand that overlap, but they do not want to bring it up. And if, you don't under, if that overlap is ignored, people will not understand the nature of the phenomena. This is inherent in these phenomena. There's, there's many parallels between near-death experiences and UFOs. Many UFO flaps ha also have, uh, are accompanied by Bigfoot sightings. Right. The Bigfoot people, the cryptozoologists, do not want to hear about the psychic and paranormal aspects of Bigfoot. So, yes, you're absolutely right. They, and, in fact, it does reduce the status. One of the, the characteristics of the trickster is to reduce or lower the status of a person. And so when people do get involved with paranormal phenomena, especially within the academic world, their status goes down. They are not nearly as well regarded or well received. They probably won't get the promotions other people will. This is a characteristic of it. The trickster is divisive in this way, and it is something that people who get into these fields understand that they will not be very well accepted, but and that does affect their long-term career prospects. So you're absolutely right. You have really understood this in a rather uh, much deeper sense than most people. So go ahead. Okay. Uh, just yeah, that, that's very always interesting to me that yeah, I mean, so much information is lost because of this attitude, and it goes for all you know anomalous fields of study and uh 
I, I don't think it's going to change. I mean, unfortunately, well, I wish it would. But well, I wish there, it would. There, does, there does seem to be a slight uh, loosening up of the um, of the belief uh, system here. Uh, now, uh, you know, I know uh, Ted Phillips. Uh, in fact, the uh, interview on YouTube has both uh, George Hansen and Ted Phillips on it. And of course, uh, Ted was a um, uh, studied. Uh, he, well, he was out there at the Lonnie Zamora case, you know, in Socorro, New Mexico, and he worked with Dr. Heineck and was involved in, I guess, over four or five hundred physical trace cases. But now he's beginning to see that a lot of what's going on is not physical in the sense that we think of physical, that it is at least partially a spiritual or a psychic phenomena. Um, also, Grant Cameron, I heard him on an um, uh, interview just within the last month or so, and the host of the program couldn't believe what he was hearing, because, of course, a, a Grant uh, has investigated, I guess he spent most of his time going to the various presidential uh, libraries and looking for documents, uh, you know, proving uh, uh, UFOs are from outer space and so forth. And now he has come out uh, in the open and said uh, he has found in government documents going back as far as the early 1950s that the wow. only way that you can perceive this subject is you have to realize it deals with ESP and mental telepathy and cosmic consciousness. Wow. Wow. So there, there is a little, there is a bending of the um, uh, of the the structure here, because I, I think if you've been in this uh, long enough, you realize that it can't be physical spaceships from uh, you know somewhere else. Right. Well, maybe a few right. of them are. That's there's no doubt yeah. about that. Why maybe like uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, a, a one point one percent or something of all the unidentified objects might be from. Uh, outer space, but we're dealing with something that's a lot more localized. It's right here exactly. uh, under our noses or under our feet or uh, perhaps uh, in a, um, perhaps it resides with the trickster somewhere on a parallel all, dimension. All, all, all of the above, Tim. All, <laughs> all of the, the above. above. Uh, and there are some ways of starting to understand it. There are some very interesting theoretical approaches in studying myth and ritual. Uh, particularly what's called structuralism. Now, structuralism is not so much in vogue today, but there is something called post-structuralism. Now, this gets very abstract, but there's some very effective ways of looking at that blurring. And in, I do have, uh, on one of my pages on my website, I have an article of Ghosts and Liminality. And I show some commonalities, in, uh, and there's a diagram there. And structuralism deals with binary oppositions, such as life, death, uh, God, human, uh, male, female, human, and beast. And typically we think of life and death as really very separate things. You know, you're either alive or you're dead. But if you look sort of betwixt and between life and death, you find things like ghosts. You find reincarnation. You find near-death experiences. And mediums also blur that distinction between life and death. Are ghosts and spirits alive or are they dead? We, it's kind of hard to tell. Hmm. Between the heavens and the earth, well, there's always been angels. Angels have been messengers between the heavens and the right. earth. But we also find UFOs. And, and you know, another thing that ties into this, now that you mentioned Go, go taking this route is the whole idea of of uh, not just 
you know, Jungian archetypes. But, you know, of course, if they do exist, they, they precede Carl Jung. But the, the dream world itself, the act of dreaming, the state of being in a dream, you know, there are, there are previous cultures on our planet, all over the planet, always believed that dreams were not necessarily just something that happens because your brain is, is, is taking care of business. You know, that, that you actually were visiting other realms, receiving messages, interacting with discarnate entities, even though they appear, you know, to be physical in the dream, that type of thing. Do you think that ties into this at all? Oh, absolutely, in a very, very big way. Uh, one of the most common types of psychic experiences is the precognitive dream. So is the dream simply imagination, or is it tapping reality? Sometimes it's partly, partly just in your head, but sometimes outer reality is somehow affecting it, even the future. And this has been shown even in laboratory situations. So dreams can blur that distinction between self and other, between present and future. So yes, dreams are a very conducive state to blurring these boundaries, having this ambiguity, but having this information come through. So dream states absolutely very much related to this. Wow. And so that could also tie into to like uh, um, abduction experiences and things like that. Oh, sure. You betcha. So what I'm sort of talking about in this between, between life and death, between uh, the heavens and the earth, between male and female, for instance, uh, there are many North American Indian tribes uh, that have people who are referred to as the Burdash, or mm. the two-spirit people. These are people who have characteristics of both sexes. A male may take the, the role of a female, or a female may take the role of a male. These people were looked upon as having supernatural powers, and many of them became shamans. People who are transgender also seem to have some affinity for the paranormal. I've met quite a few uh, uh, who, who have, are drawn to it. So again, you've got that blurring between a major binary opposition on our culture. It's the excluded right. middle. Uh, right. And certainly between human and beast, you've got zombies and werewolves and Bigfoot. All of those blur that boundary between human and beast. They're sort of imaginary, but sometimes in other cultures we hear pretty impressive reports of these beings. So it's this very ambiguous, blurred area, this liminal realm, this betwixt and between, this excluded middle where these phenomena seem to emerge and the characteristics seem quite common across those categories. So yes, we're, we're, and that's a very subversive category, and other cultures recognize that as a holy realm, a sacred realm, and a realm of taboo. It wasn't approached just casually. There were dangers there. Well, now, I think does, this, does the, uh, uh, the, the trickster, uh, this ties in, uh, would you say, also uh, with the, shape, the ability to shapeshift? Oh, absolutely. Yes, in fact, the trickster, uh, in Paul, there's a very, one of the most important books is by Paul Radin, and he says the trickster really doesn't have a particular form. It can take all sorts of forms. So, yes, shape-shifting is inherent in the trickster. And you can see this even among, like, people, mediums. Mediums will take on, will, will channel various entities and various persons. It might be, one voice might be talking at one time, but a little bit later someone else might be. That's not completely shape-shifting, but it shows this 
easily change. And sometimes the medium's face and countenance and voice will change as well. So shape-shifting is inherent in, in a number of ways. And now, how, how about a, a, a case like the um, Skinwalker Ranch, where various types of uh, entities and, and, and creatures have been seen? Uh, it certainly had this char- the characteristics of ambiguity and uncertainty and transition, boundary crossing. So these types of creatures that we're seeing certainly have the, these general characteristics that we associate with the paranormal, the shape-shifting and the like. So the, the trickster is sort of an archetype. It's sort of a pattern that we see across these beings, uh, that they are ambiguous. People are a bit scared of them. Uh, they, they, they come and they go. Uh, and they sometimes are more frequent among uh, periods of transition. For instance, when a person dies, the phenomena seem to increase a bit during around the time of a death. Or the time of... Uh, in other cultures, there would be initiations to move a person from childhood to adulthood. And in that in-between state, more phenomena were likely to occur. So, yes. You know, what I think, what I think is interesting is that, um, you know, throughout history, uh, both, you know, uh, recorded and, and long before, you know, the, the written world, um, the the concept of the trickster is is very universal. I mean, I think practically every culture that has existed on this planet has had uh, their own version of of the trickster, and they all are are very similar to each other. Yes, absolutely, and that's what's so compelling. These phenomena have been around for thousands and thousands of years, and the trickster myths have been around for thousands of years. Now, what's happened to our culture? Why are we different? Well, there's some interesting theoretical work on that, too. And one of the ideas, as we become more complex, as society becomes uh, having a greater division of labor, we've got specialists in all sorts of fields, that it's more effective to work in a hierarchical structure with rational thought because you need clarity. And the trickster does not lend itself to clarity. It tends to promote ambiguity. So in many ways, early smaller cultures could deal with these phenomena better than our large and complex uh, cultures. So Mm -hmm. I suspect there's something very important about that. And the people who are particularly antagonistic to the trickster are typically academics who have high status. So there is something about the organization of our culture that tends to inhibit it. We also see this in religion. There are certain religions that have greater antagonism to claims of miracles that uh, downplay the idea of saints and downplay the idea of angels. So... There has been, over the last thousand years, certainly a, uh, a tendency to downplay and disregard these phenomena. And I think it has to do because with the nature of our culture, and it is becoming more complex. Uh, now, the, the danger is that if our culture becomes too complex and too brittle, not a lot, and, and, in a, and has little ability to change and shift, 
then it can fracture, and then I think we will see an upsurge in interest in trickster phenomena as well as destabilizing the cultures. Hmm. So, well, haven't, haven't we seen that at certain times in, uh, in history, such as after World War I, where uh, spiritualism became um, uh, very popular? Yes, yes, indeed. Another example I like to use is the fall of the Berlin Wall, 1989. Mm. And in the next few years, all across Eastern Europe, there was a huge increase in interest in the paranormal. Uh, also, in the, in the late 60s and early 70s, we had the Vietnam War and Watergate and a distrust in government. And at that time, we saw a huge increase in interest in the paranormal in this country. There is something about change and transition in our, our culture that tends to stimulate these phenomena. And I suspect that the phenomena today is on the increase. I'm not sure what that means, but I think a lot of people are having a little bit more anxiety about the future right now. So uh, when there is more uncertainty, I expect that there will be a greater interest in these phenomena, and probably more phenomena. Well, now, is the trickster, um, is the trickster phenomena always associated with... Um uh, paranormal phenomena, or uh, uh, do people who have no knowledge of the paranormal, no experience with it, you know, I mean, they're doing something completely different, uh, find themselves uh, a victim of the uh, trickster phenomena, uh, but not directly associated with uh, 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 anomalous activities as, as we think of, you know, like hauntings or, or anything like that. Uh, for example, like, you know, maybe a chemist who is is trying to work with uh, something but finds that the combination of chemicals that should work don't, time and time again, things like that. Certainly the trickster can manifest uh, in many pl- times when there's no paranormal phenomenon directly right. observed. No question. Just being a victim of deceit or mm-hmm. being a little too greedy and then it kind of backfires on you. Politics. Uh, right. Yeah, politics. So, yeah, there are a lot of politicians who are deceptive, who are, you know, very friendly and very persuasive, uh, and they have some uh, remarkable trickster characteristics. Now, yep. that doesn't necessarily mean they're necessarily bad. They can be beneficial at times. Right, and then, but, you, but you can also have the ones that go to the extreme, you know, it's kind of like the old uh, uh, gaming. I was, never, I was never a gamer, but I kind of know these terms. You know, you have chaotic neutral, chaotic good, chaotic evil. You know, I, I kind of see that the trickster runs that gamut. Yeah, some, yes. You know, yeah, uh, because they do cause chaos and change. But, you know, Ted Bundy is a good example of a trickster. You know, um, the way he could smooth talk women and, and come yeah. across as Mr. Young Republican and then, you know, Mm-hmm, do mm-hmm. what he did, but at the same time, the trickster kind of seems to exist on the most fundamental level because even with the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, you have this whole idea that that somehow reality itself knows you're watching and it will act in a certain way when you're not watching. I agree with you. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, and I, I think the trickster and this uncertainty, it's always there. 
And right. there is something about watching and not watching that's very key. And I haven't quite figured that out, but that's certainly one of the major ideas within some research and laboratory-based parapsychology. It's not being understood. Well, George, now. also, too, wouldn't you, wouldn't you say that, uh, to a large extent, the clowns, would they not be the physical uh, uh, appearance of the trickster? You bet. Uh, the cl- clown, a clown definitely is a manifestation of the trickster, no question. Uh, they can be happy or sad, uh, and they... Uh, in other cultures, clowns had important roles in ceremonies and in, the, in their and in their societies. Yes, the clown is a very good example, and and that would be too. I would imagine why certain people are so fearful of clowns for no reason at all. I suspect so. Yes, it, the the image of the clown and the clown itself tends to provoke a certain ambivalence: is this friendly or not, or is it really scary? And ch- young children, particularly, can be very, very afraid of clowns. So, yes, the the idea of the clown strikes at a very deep, emotional, almost unconscious level. And there's some pretty good books on it. Right, right. So, you, you said something earlier about certain seasons of that the Native Americans were allowed to talk about trickster tricksters and tell trickster tales and, and that sort of thing. Do you think that it's possible that, that the ancient Celts had a similar thing with their whole Samhain Halloween tradition? They may have. Uh, I just don't know the details of those. Uh, there are yeah. many, many cultures, but I think it certainly would be worth looking at to see. Well, you know, it was about trick or treat, you know, really. It was literally yeah. evil tricks, like they could harm you. You know, mm-hmm, if mm-hmm. you didn't, if you didn't leave an offering or give an offering, and also Halloween uh, is the day before the Day of the Dead, or you know, there's All Saints Day and then All Souls Day. So that period, there's Halloween and Catholicism. There's All Saints Day, then All Souls Day. So yes, this 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 the the, the, the line between the living and the dead may be a little bit thinner during those times. Mm-hmm. And I suspect you will see this in uh, similar relations in other cultures. Very interesting. Hmm. Can you can you point to let's say something in the news that's that's coming up that you you could see in advance that the trickster would get involved in it? <laughs> hmm. Mm, I have to think about that. Uh, I don't really think about trickster in the news, I I tend to focus my thinking uh, more on paranormal and uh, preternatural, supernatural events, so I tend to avoid (laughs) the other, but uh, just haven't thought about it, I'm sorry. Well, Hmm. we we could probably sit there and go through the newspaper on any given day and and read read into it. (sighs) I I, I suppose we could. It's not something I practice or something yeah. I do, so I, I probably should beg off and just say, hey, sorry, I can't really give you a good answer right now. No, <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I mean, I'm, I'm sure that, that all of us, though, at various times in our life can think back to situations that, that, that we have been involved in that have have come about a certain way that, that afterwards, you know, you look back to it and you're like, what was going on with that? <laughs> oh, 
yeah, yeah. And, you know, I've been taken in by a few tricksters in my life, too. Mm-hmm. You, you know, I... And and some of them, I said, well, he wasn't such a bad guy. I did get taken, but hmm, it did. I learned a few things. Uh, <laughs> I have to be a little bit more careful in the future, a little bit more hard-headed. <laughs> but uh, some of these people are very likable, and it's sometimes hard to get too upset with them. Well, uh, you look at somebody like uh, Gray Barker. You know, oh yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, he's he seems to be like the the, the perfect persona <laughs> for the trickster yeah, incarnate. Yeah. <laughs> yes, well, Tim we Beckley could let us know that. Well, and, we don't, and, and, also, and of course, I guess Jim Mosley had the reputation of being the uh, crown prince of uh, tricksters in the UFO. Uh, oh, for field. sure. And 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 Mosley was very congenial. It's hard not to like him. Uh, he was v- quite bright, quite literate, and a very good speaker. And his, I have many years of uh, issues of his zine Saucer Smear, always hilarious to read. I always looked forward to getting it. So it's and but Mosley pulled some very uh, important hoaxes too, and he understood that this was inherent in the in the UFO field. And many of the scientific types hated his guts. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> but he understood it. If they would just sit back and watch Jim Mosley and understand what yeah. he was doing, they would learn a lot about the UFO field and the phenomenon itself. Uh, yeah, Tim uh, Beckley invited me to contribute to a uh, tribute to Jim. That's, and one of that's his right. We did, we did, we did a... Uh, um, well, uh, Jim did a book which he claims he never wrote, but that's open to debate. Uh, he called it the wrong, the wrong field story. Um, uh, but he actually had the help of Gray Barker on it. What Gray did was take um, a lot of the early uh, articles from uh, Jim Mosley's Saucer News, and before that he had a magazine called uh, Nexus, and kind of rewrote it to his um, his liking. But the material was all uh, you know there. He didn't really make up a great deal along the along the way but of course jim did have this uh, reputation as being a, a hoaxer but you know in reality i knew jim i i worked for him for quite a number of years he in his own way took the subject uh, seriously i mean he was out there uh, looking uh, for answers but maybe he realized pretty early out that answers were not easily uh, forthcoming or coming at all no, no, I think Jim had a very good perspective and a very good understanding of it. And he was willing to acknowledge the controversy and the humor and the silliness of it. And that really antagonized a lot of people. But it was inherent in these phenomena. And if they were not going to acknowledge and understand the, that hoaxes were so much part of it, and that they're not just dirt, that they are very... It's a very there's a very deep connection with the hoaxes and the deceit and the paranormal phenomena. And Mosley seemed to understand that. And it's not something that's going to be simply disregarded. And there are some in, there's some interesting ways to approach that theoretically. Mosley was far ahead of most scientists in these fields. And that really grated when I would say that, that would get people really <laughs> upset. <laughs> well, and I think that's, uh, you know, that's, that's the one aspect that drives 
most uh, researchers and investigators in the field of UFOs and, and, and paranormal activity crazy is their perception that the field is ripe with hoaxers. And I, I mean, I know I've participated in discussions and, and uh, questioning why this is the case. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people that feel like that, you know, the, uh, that they're being singled out, you know, that uh, uh, that, that for some reason um, UFO investigators or the whole field of UFOs especially just seems to attract hoaxers for one reason or, or, or the well, other. Now, you know, I, I can tell you this, uh, having been involved in the field for, God, I don't even know, over 40 years, uh, that even when something starts out as having some legitimate fooling, somewhere along the line, the chick, trickster will attack. Absolutely. Right. Oh, you can have the mo- you can have the greatest of, uh, of experience, and all of a sudden something comes along that will just... Uh, uh, you know, like e- either make you question uh, the incident or re- uh, re- make you rethink uh, the whole uh, episode. It just it it always, it's bound to happen. I mean, look look at Bentwaters uh, as an example. It uh, started out uh, as uh, Larry Warren, and uh, I've known Larry uh, since the beginning of this, probably since about 1985. He was standing on the uh, the, uh, the steps of the high school in. Uh, Brewster, uh, New York, uh, Peter Gersten and Dr. Heineck were having a conference, uh, uh, trying to have a town hall meeting for people who had seen this, you know, craft over Westchester, the giant boomerang object. And Larry was there on the on the stairs of the uh, the school, telling for the first time anywhere what had happened at Bentwaters. Now, uh, of course, the incident in question took place in three nights in uh, 1980. But since then, we've heard from uh, numerous uh, airmen who were there uh, and uh, with various uh, stories. I mean, as the time goes on, uh, it seems we have uh, uh, various uh, ways of describing the incident. But yet, almost everybody would agree that it certainly is one of the best UFO cases. But if you look at uh, the the trickster element in it, you'll you'll see it there uh, as well as in many other cases. Yeah, there has to be a new way of trying to understand these phenomena. And there are some people who are taking sort of a literary approach, sort of looking at meaning, and it comes out of the field of what's called post-structuralist theory. Uh, There's a new new book uh, by a guy named Jeffrey Kripal, who's a religious studies professor down at Rice University. It's titled Comparing Religions. And in there, he talks a bit about the paranormal, has a whole chapter on it, and discusses UFOs. So I think that the typical scientific way of thinking about these phenomena isn't working very well. We need to draw on literary theory, on mythology, on ideas of ritual. Uh, this is going to be very, very subversive to the, the traditional ways of thinking in these paranormal fields. But I think we can make some progress there. And I think it's going to be a long ways off. But there are people who are coming into these fields who have a very different perspective. And within religious studies, I've been able to find several people who are sympathetic. Now, mind you, there are a lot of people in that field who are not at all sympathetic. But I think we need to be open to very, very radically different ways of thinking. 
and yeah. that will be very difficult for people even my age. I think we're going to be depending on the the teens and twenty somethings and thirty somethings to really make some uh, conceptual breakthroughs. Now, George, what would you uh, you say about the work of uh, someone like uh, Dr. Uh, Mack, John Mack? John Mack is a very, very interesting case. Now, if he had lived, he might have made more progress. But he came in from basic. He admitted he was basically an atheist, was not really uh, open to this early on, and he encountered the phenomenon. Mack was a very, very high status person, uh, mm-hmm. head of a psychiatry department, Harvard Medical School, uh, very bright, but he basically got taken in by at least two uh, serious hoaxes. One would be the Linda Napolitano case, and the other would be uh, the uh, Donna Bassett case. So, Mac, but this is typical. When someone comes into these fields, they assume that the phenomena is pretty much like all the other things they've encountered. It's not. And these hoaxes and the, 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 the tricksters can make fools of these people. Now, Mac was undoubtedly you know, completely honest and did the best that he could. But unless you have some years observing this field, you won't understand the difficulties. Now, Mac was moving toward a more psychological, sociological, spiritual type of understanding of these phenomena. And I think that was healthy. I think he was making some progress. But you can't expect someone to understand this in two or three years. This takes at least five to ten years to start understanding what the issues are. What, what, well, is, is it possible that we can ultimately ever find an explanation for any of this, or is there really no rational explanation? I don't know that a rational scientific explanation is going to be completely possible. We will be able to find some commonalities, some patterns, but I suspect there are serious limitations on knowledge. And one of the areas I'm very interested in is limitations on knowledge and limitations on rationality. For instance, there's a concept called reflexivity reflexivity turns a process back upon itself, the subject and object become uh, uh, blurred, and the whole idea of rationality depends on clear distinctions, A and not A, or not A. The trickster inherently blurs this. There are two ways of sort of subverting logic. One is to blur the boundaries, and uh, the other is to turn a process back upon itself, uh, the subject becoming an object. Those, those types of procedures tend to show some limitations of what we can know in a very theoretical sense. So I suspect there is something inherently difficult about getting a full rational uh, understanding, and I'm not sure it's possible to fully rationally understand uh, the paranormal, and probably a lot of other things. Religion has always been a, an area of controversy. There is, right. and these phenomena have always been associated with religious issues. Right, so and, and, and that goes right with the ritual-type stuff you were talking about earlier in terms of protection and, and control and, and sort of the safety valve that goes with it. So, you know, it makes you wonder... Um, 
this this is something that's always been with us all the way back to whenever we would have begun, whenever people believe it, depending on when you believe that is. But speaking when of we fell down out the of the be- trees, yeah. that's right. There you go. <laughs> back to the beginning, we're going to go uh, back to a commercial break. Uh, it's time for our our scheduled break. But when we come back, we will continue this fascinating discussion discussion with George P. Hansen. Stay tuned. researchers in the world. Exclusive information that cannot be found anywhere else on the planet. Trusted, connected, accurate. The UFOstore.com. Expand your personal library with fast shipping and instant downloadable information from the largest selection of UFO products on the internet by going to theufostore.com or call on the 24-hour, 7-day-a-week order line at 541-523-2630. The truth is out there, and the theufostore.com has it. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and I'm proud to be a book person. How do I choose a book? Sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the title. I guess I'm pretty visual. If a book's really impressing me and the writing is really good, I will peek and see what the last paragraph is. Because the endings of books should rock you. I am a book person. And if you're a book person, too, read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition. Join me at bookpeopleunite.org because reading is fundamental. A public service announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress, and the Ad Council. Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! (gasps) It's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text. Stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? 
Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. And you're back with The Outer Edge. I'm Tim Swartz. Tonight we're talking with George P. Hansen uh, about the trickster. Um, George, I want to ask you, uh, uh, before we left for our break, I was thinking about um, the UFO phenomena and, and the association with the trickster. And, you know, I mean... How, I mean, we've we've seen. I mean, over the last fifty years, you know, I mean, people like we were talking about, like uh, uh, Mosley and uh, uh, Gray Barker, and their 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 tricksterish behaviors. But uh, the UFO phenomena itself, um, definitely, a lot of times, uh, uh, you know, acts like the trickster. I mean, I can think about a number of UFO witnesses or, or contactees especially who who may have had you know like a couple of uh, uh, contact experiences and were told um, prophecies predictions by the UFO occupants that that came true and then they were told um, something along the lines of like say you know we're going to make an appearance on February 2nd at exactly three o'clock p.m let the media know and they of course they go out and because their previous predictions came true, you know, they let everyone know, hey, the UFOs are coming down, you know, on this date, and of course they never do, and they're made to look the fool. And you see that time and time again. Yep, that's right. Yes, John Keel documented that in his book, Mothman Prophecies, and talked about it, and I remember John talking about that a lot. Yes, and I've encountered right. that as well. Uh, well, you know, that's that. even in religions. I mean, you have like the Seventh-day Adventists. Or Heaven's Gate, you know, yes, same yes. type of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, one must be careful with uh, in accepting claims from that realm. Yes, it, it, yep. it is dangerous. Another thing about the UFO phenomena, you will find, you know, it's individual researchers who are probably the more credible. You don't find people in government who are credible who are going to address this. You will find a lot of disinformation agents uh, right. But very few uh, people you can rely on. In industry, are there any major companies that investigate UFOs? None that I know of. Are there any major religions that get involved? Very few. Nation of Islam, of course, has uh, an interest. But the mainstream religions certainly do not. And the academics do not. So you find this is basically outsiders, people who are not involved with institutions in a big way. MUFON, you know, has been around for more than 40 years, but it's basically, it was headquartered in the home of Walt Andrus for many years, and right now, they might have a storefront, they did for a little while, but it's a tiny, tiny operation. You look at the number of movies and TV shows on UFOs, it's quite impressive. But if you look at the amount of money going into serious research, it is tiny. It's it's almost not existed. That's right. That's it's right. It's not existed, right? I don't I don't know. Uh, well, I think Chris O'Brien was getting a few dollars uh, every once in a while. Yeah, every once in a while, some somebody will pop up with a few dollars. But then they, I guess, they realize that you know you can stand on a hill with your binoculars and your 
camera, and the UFO will appear 50 miles away. <laughs> yeah, but, but sometimes it'll be much closer. But still, we don't find any long-term serious commitment to research by, on the part of larger uh, uh, organizations. Now, you, were, you, were, you were involved. Did you not do some experiments at Princeton? I was in Princeton, but not at Princeton. I was not associated with the university. There, was a, there were two laboratories uh, in Princeton. One was at the university, and one was uh, uh, privately. Uh, they were both supported by basically the same people. I was at uh, Psychophysical Research Laboratories, which was not on the campus and not associated with the university. It was supported primarily by J the James S. McDonald Foundation. James S. McDonald uh, was the head of McDonnell Douglas Aircraft. Uh, and and, and what, exper what experiments were you involved in and why were you selected? Well, I was involved at, at uh, PRL, Psychophysical Research Laboratories, and we did two primary types of experiments. One was the Gonsfeld, which was a procedure to, uh, that stimulated an, a slightly altered state of consciousness. Basically, we put halves of ping pong balls over a person's eyes mm -hmm. and headphones on their, uh, over their ears. Uh, we shined red light on their on them, so they would look out and see just basically a pink homogeneous field, and they'd hear white noise. And that was in one shielded room. In another room, we had a sender who would be shown a randomly selected video clip. It might be a still, or there might be a, uh, actually movement on it, uh, a clip from say a movie or a TV show. And a person in that room would try to send it to the receiver who was in the Gonsfeld state. So it was a telepathy type of design. That was one of the experiments. The other type of experiment we did was mental influence on electronic random number generators. So one was an ESP type of experiment. The other was a psychokinesis or mind over matter experiment. All of our work was completely open. Uh, we did have certainly people from government agencies occasionally stop by and see what we were doing. Uh, but we published uh, our work in referee journals and, it, and presented at scientific conferences. So I was selected because I had worked at the Rhine Research Center down in Durham, North Carolina for three years, and then I worked five years in Princeton. So, George, did you kind of uh, your own personal personal transformation or transition during this your professional journey? Did you start out as a skeptic and move toward uh, being taking being op more open minded about these things? Because I know that you've helped to debunk uh, fakes and, and and things like this. So, how has this changed for you over time? Okay, well, I started out back in the mid-70s when there was the, what was called the psychic explosion. There was a huge right. upsurge of interest during that time. And I got very interested in a number of groups, and I went to uh, various courses on various New Age and paranormal and psychic uh, topics. And eventually I decided, well, hmm, I wonder if this is really true. So I started reading the scientific literature. And at that time, there was also the emergence of the skeptics movement. 
So I would go to uh, some of the college and university libraries and sit down with the Skeptics magazine, and in the, on, the, with, on the same desk I'd have copies of the journal articles, and I would read back and forth. And I decided, well, the skeptics really are not explaining this. The scientists who claim to be doing this research seem to make a much better case. And so I, sub and I started subscribing both to the professional journals in parapsychology as well as the Skeptics magazine. So I was still pretty skeptical of some of the things, um, and still am. But I tried to, and I, I subscribed to the Skeptics magazine, I don't know, probably t for 20 years or better. And I still try to follow some of their work. So I came, across, came to the conclusion, yes, there is something definitely here that's happening. It seems that there, is a there are paranormal phenomena that do occur, but there's also an awful lot of things that uh, are probably mistakes or hoaxes. So I have no problem taking either side on a case. You know, I try to evaluate claims one by one. There are certain researchers I tend to trust. There are other researchers I do not. <laughs> so, yes, I have exposed uh, several hoaxes, and I plan to continue writing some rather skeptical uh, critiques of certain research. On the other hand, uh, I've seen some pretty impressive research as well. What, what do you think are the, the strongest like UFO cases, would you say? Okay, uh, I think the coin helicopter case, Mansfield, Ohio, 1973, mm -hmm. is quite good. Uh, that's one of my favorite. Let's see, the, uh, the Cash Landrum case is very, very interesting. The Eddie Doyle Webb case is very interesting. I think, uh, I think the... Those are the three. The Travis Walton case is not quite as strong, but the more I look at it, there are some rather compelling aspects to it. Uh, but How about the Sakura? I think that's pretty good, although I'm, a li I'm not sure. I've read some of Anthony Regalia's uh, critiques of that. There may be more, and like anything, there's probably something really weird there, but there's also this, there are aspects to it that tend to detract a little bit from it. So I'm not sure about the Socorro case. I'm very impressed with Rex Stan Ray Stanford's work on it. So I don't put that as quite as strong a case as the uh, Mansfield, Ohio case. I, I, won't, I hesitate to even ask you Roswell. No, I'm not impressed with that. It's a very strong myth, mythological type of situation there, but uh, I've not seen anything very compelling, and there's a lot of disinformation put out by the government on that case. Yeah, that, that, that's one that probably we will never know for sure one way or the other. Something... No doubt happened. That, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, something happened there, but uh, it's just beyond, uh, you know, sorting it out at this uh, at this point. Yeah, well, there, I are, agree. there are a lot of cases like that, though. That you know, yeah. have yeah. Uh, like I said, have, have just gone into the realm of myth now, and so it's kind of hard to uh, separate the wheat from the chafe. And, and guys, I will give you the perfect example of this, and you, I, you will know exactly what I'm talking about. There was an event that happened, a series of events back in the '60s in West Virginia and they were more or less isolated to that time 
And of course, I'm talking about Mothman. The whole event, you know, the whole series of events where this thing is seen and strange things happen ahead of time and strange characters show up and then eventually it's, it culminates with a disaster and this whole mythology is built up around this, this series of events. And, you know, now there are people out there who are, for lack of a better term, they're just trying to capitalize on it. I mean, there are so many new Mothman books coming out, it's ridiculous. It's as if Mothman's gone on tour. Okay, he's got an agent Resur- and the publicist, and you know, you know, and it, people forget that this is not, you know, a pleasant, happy thing, Mothman. This is that, that's just the name for an entity which, according to the people who were there at the time, was very dark and disturbing and frightening and, and sort of a, uh, a harbinger of bad things, that type of things. So, you know, you have to ask yourself when people engage in this type of of. Uh, I, I hate to say chicanery, but I guess I will. This type of, oh, look, Mothman is my pet project now, and I have a psychic link with Mothman, and look, oh, we're all right about Mothman, and everybody's had a Mothman experience, didn't you know? And everybody around the United States, well, they're still having them today, and he, he talks to me with in, when my my uh, Snap, Crackle, and Pop cereal was talking in the morning. It's really Mothman. You know, when you have this kind of garbage going on, because that's what it is, is garbage, doesn't that sort of lend itself to this whole idea of a trickster, whether it's from a human source or whether it's from somewhere else, that, that it's just going to serve to further confuse whatever really happened back in the day. Oh, oh, definitely. But that's the nature of what we're dealing with here. And we have to kind of step back. Okay, we're seeing this missile, myth take off. It has, it has a life of its own. And sometimes it was good, sometimes it was bad. Yes, all these things get blurred together. And if we can kind of step back and see this pattern, I think we'll get a better understanding of it. Rather than lamenting the the way that this is going, just step back and watch and see if the pattern reoccurs in other situations. (laughs) What's the self-destruction, I think, is what we're saying. (laughs) Well, it can be, and that's that's important to know. Yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely a descent into madness. I think you know, it's interesting. The person I'm, I'm, I have in mind is you know everybody that disagrees with this person or or calls him on whatever it is he's done or is doing. They're a disinfo agent. They're all disinfo agents. They're they're spies. They're they're tools of the Illuminati. They're working for the Queen of England. They're you know they're working for the MIB. You know, but it's just like, it sounds like pure paranoid schizophrenia, you know. Yes. Well, some, but often these people are very functional in, in all other areas of their life. And, but we see this pattern over and over and over. And yes, there is sort of a descent into the madness. And I do have some sympathy for the hardcore skeptics, because they realize this is not altogether healthy stuff. And so I don't think we should badmouth well, the, on the You know, on the, other, on the other hand, uh, humankind would certainly limit it limits itself by being skeptical about everything. If, if we don't have the will to believe, then we're never going to create anything. I mean, UFOs do provide us with a, an escapism and a means to create, even if, it, even if it's a fantasy. Yes, well, I, I agree. There are there are some advantages, but there's also certain dangers too. Uh, John Keel, you know, 
was quite willing to admit that when, during the Mothman period, he was quite concerned about his his own sanity. So, yes, there is a fine line there, though. That's not altogether creativity and goodness and light. Oh, no, so, no. In fact, there is a, definitely a yin-yang in the, um, the conception here of... Uh, uh, ufology. I mean, uh, uh, that kind of irritates me more than anything else is to, uh, you know, listen to somebody say, oh, you know, people are living in fear that all aliens are good aliens and uh, they come here to, to teach us a better way. Well, maybe some of them do, but some of them here uh, also come to rip out our hearts and yes. uh, to mutilate our, <laughs> our our animals that we paid, uh, right. you know, several thousand dollars a, a, a piece for and to right. uh, give us bad dreams and to uh, to implant us with, um, uh, you know, implant us in our brains and our and everything else. So it's a, it, it is not all good and it's not all bad. It well, is there, what there it is. is. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, there is a yin and a yang, but sometimes with some people, it's just yang. Uh-huh. Well, you know, I say that. Uh, you know, I, I've become very much involved in uh, synchronicities. I mean, I think the more that I bring up the subject and discuss these uh, synchronicities that I've had, more are being thrown at me. I mean, I have an, an entire li- uh, a list of synchronicities. I mean, there must be up to 25 or 30 uh, by now. And I'm not just talking about mundane uh, things. I think that this is a way of communicating, just like the electronic voice phenomena or maybe the few crop circles that might be legitimate. Here we are sending, you know, the signals into space and trying to pick up uh, radio waves from uh, light years away when maybe that they don't listen to radio. You know, or that's not uh, their means of communicating. And so I think that synchronicities are planted here. I mean, that these things are, uh, you know, given to certain people so that they can rationalize and uh, rationalize and realize that there is something more outside of just the norm and the visible. Well, I agree. I think synchronicities are a very common manifestation of these kinds of phenomena. And in in fact, in the last few weeks, I've encountered several people who've had uh, large numbers of synchronicities happening to them. It, it does seem to be growing, and, and I've also noticed I took kind of an unscientific poll uh, in this that people involved with the paranormal seem to have more uh, synchronicities than uh, you know uh, other people outside the field. But then, again, that might be because they notice them where your average person is not interested in synchronicities if it landed in their lap. But there is, a, by the way, there's a very good book on synchronicity and the trickster. It's a book titled Synchronicity, Science, Myth, and the Trickster by Combs and Holland. It came out, oh, 20, 25 years ago, but I still highly recommend the book. It was very influential in my own thinking. Uh, you'll have to send me an email on that. I'd like to do some uh, research on that. that that'd be interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah it, by all means. It, yeah, there's several books that discuss it, uh, but that's probably the most accessible, and uh, it's quite well written. has lots of good examples. Mm, wonderful. Because I, I do eventually, uh, well, I'm writing an article uh, on the on the subject, but it's so detailed and complex and uh, all encompassing that uh, you know it, it's probably uh, uh, enough material for a, a book. But uh, I'm working on so many things simultaneously; it's just hard to find the time and. Uh, one of the p- people who's been writing on synchronicity is a guy named Mike Cleland, who has a blog, Hidden Experience. And he has a lot of ex- uh, synchronicities regarding owls. Right, right. 
I yeah, lost yeah, you on that yeah. one. <laughs> well, like, like George says, Mike McClellan has a very interesting blog. Oh, okay, yeah, it broke up there for a minute or two. Yeah, yeah um, and uh, sort of the whole idea of something that you and I, Tim Beckley and Tim Schwartz, the three of us have been writing about for telling how long about, you know, the the possibility of hidden civilizations and that are older than we are, that are here and have been here all along. And, of course, McClellan was a friend of Mac Tunnis, and so that's kind of what got him interested in the topic. But uh, it's a really, it's an interesting blog. Mm-hmm. We'll have to check it out. So, mm-hmm. it, it, uh, George, what, what, are you, what are you working on now? I mean, are you working on another book or... Well, I am working on another book, but more of a series of articles. My own interest has become much more theoretical. I do believe that there are some very useful uh, ideas in the academic area, particularly in what's called post-structuralism. And so I'm spending more of my time thinking along those lines and reading it. There's some very interesting work on ghosts. on, from a post-structuralist standpoint, I have a colleague who is looking at uh, Michael Jackson uh, because Michael Jackson blurs binaries. Is he male, male, female, black, white, child, adult? And uh, Michael Jackson has had some, is reported to be psychic himself, has really sort of manipulated the media. He's something of a trickster figure, but he's also highly charismatic, and many mediums have reported communications from him. So again, we see, and post-structuralism and structuralism deal with the concept of binary oppositions in some very interesting ways. So I think, and they also deal with mythology, and structuralist uh, work from a variety of perspectives have dealt with myth. So there are ways of thinking, and very different ways of thinking about this, that are in the academic literature. Most academics don't understand how to apply it, but I think this is a very fertile area where we can make some progress. Well, when, pu- when push comes to shove, what do you make of all this? I mean, what is a ghost? What is a UFO? Hmm. Uh, I think those are the wrong questions. No, you want, uh, you want to know... Uh, how, when, where, who sees them. We don't, to ask what, that's probably not going to get us very far right now. We need to see what the patterns are. Who has them? Under what circumstances? At what point in their life? Uh, And then we can start to conceptualize. I, I also do think, though, that this whole idea of binary oppositions, or in Jung, Carl Jung's term, opposites, uh, is a rather fruitful way of thinking about these because it's in this excluded middle where we think there is nothing that these phenomena tend to erupt. Between male and female, we think there's a sort of an empty space there, but there are people in between there who tend to have more propensity toward these experiences. And they it blurs the distinction between life and death. These phenomena blur the distinction between the heavens and the earth. And I think that's a primary property of these, that this blurred, this ambiguous area where we do not, it, and it is a, an irrational area. Right. It's an area of myth, an area of taboo, well, an area is that, of the sacred. Is, is that what it's meant to be? I mean, are we not meant to come to any conclusion or... Uh, 
on this that it's meant to be very ambiguous? Well, I don't know. We may not be able to come to fully logical, rational conclusions. We may have to adopt some other way of thinking, some other way of dealing with this. Well, that's why, you know, in one of my books, I, I, I basically said it is all folklore. Even if it's real, even if it's happening, it's as if it's the same old themes, the same uh, basic cast of characters. They just update their presentation, um, their appearance. Yes, the uh, folklore have have very some very good insights. Yeah. The work on on liminality uh, in some in the journals and folklore have yeah. been some of the the most useful things I've come across. Well, you know, it, it's as if they 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 try to. Uh, by they, I'm, this is the collective they for the paranormal. These types of things, entities, sightings, whatever, they tend to update their appearance to match expectations. Yes, yes, they they interact with us. Yeah. Now, are they internal or external? Again, it blurs that boundary. Are they us or are they independent? Again, it blurs that boundary. Are they physical or mental? Again, it blurs that boundary. It, it, right. And that undercuts our rational way of thinking. So it is inherently irrational in a sense. It's, well, it's still, and you, you know, I think that, uh, I think probably the phenomena will, will probably never really be truly understood because I think that that is what helps keep us motivated. It keeps us moving forward. Uh, you know, I mean, if we, if we understood it completely, then what use is there? You know, I mean, this yeah. this this is this is a phenomena that is always, like Mike said, it's always changing. It's it's always coming at us in uh, uh, different forms, and it 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 keeps us exploring. It 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 keeps that drive to to learn and to understand uh, going within us. I th- I think that's true, and I think we also have to recognize the dangers and the benefits, and maybe we can learn a little bit better that way. How right. can this benefit us, and what do we have to watch out for? And I suspect well, earlier cultures understood that better than we do. Well, if if you get right down to it, kind of like what I said earlier about chaotic good, chaotic neutral, chaotic evil, you know, we could really be talking, even with physical manifestations, we could be talking about the spirit world. Absolutely. When you get right down to it, that's what it's, and, yes. and you know, calling it UFOlogy, well, that's why Keel said, you know, that, that, that UFOlogy is just another name for demonology. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. it's not, it's going to give us what we expect to see or what we want to believe. That doesn't mean that's what it really is, that, that that's the true face of what it is. That's right, and we have to realize that. And if we start thinking more abstractly and looking at this phenomenon overall, maybe we'll get a little bit better understanding of it. Not complete, but better. Right. Absolutely. Well, gentlemen, unfortunately, um, we are out of time. And uh, we're going to have to uh, wrap up our show this evening. Um, George, uh, this, is, this has just been an absolutely fascinating 
conversation tonight, and uh, you know we've we've only really scratched the surface of it. So I hope that uh, I hope you can come by come back sometime in, in the near future, and uh, we can we can continue this discussion. Yes, and for anyone who's interested, I do have a website and a book, The Trickster and the Paranormal, and the website is tricksterbook.com, so take a visit, and uh, there's a lot more there. And uh, where uh, where can they find your book? Uh, is it available on Amazon? Or? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. We sure appreciate you being on the show. It's been Jeff great. Jeff Beckley, you too, always. always. Well, always, always a pleasure. Uh, a month from now, we will have another fascinating topic to approach all right <laughs> and don't forget my channel on youtube uh, sign up at mr ufo's secret files and uh, george is up there george hansen and ted phillips together uh, in uh, our interview there's nothing like mr ufo's secret files on youtube all right, great. Well, thank you very much again, gentlemen, for being with us tonight. It was a uh, absolutely fascinating show. And to everyone out there, who uh, uh, to, to our audience, thank you for listening. Be sure to uh, tune in again uh, next week where we'll have just a, uh, another absolutely fascinating program. So, Mike, uh, have a great evening. Tim Beckley. Well, George, time, to go, time to go feed the trickster. There, there you, you go. go. <laughs> George, gonna, thank you again. Uh, uh, yeah. Change Mothman's papers, Tim. Oh, okay, I'll do that. Clean, clean the litter box. Yeah. All right, good night, everyone. If you want to get a thrill, if you want to see the sights, jump right in. I got an unidentified flying object. Yeah, let's go for a spin. Let go in UFO. Might try and solve some fly. We'll fly. Across the skies, nobody will believe their eyes. Just when they think they've seen us, we zoom away to Venus. One moment we're in Mexico.